Welcome to Forgotten Players, Forgotten Matches, the latest series here on State of Play. My name's Al Belling. And my name's Miles Cade. We've taken the time during lockdown to take a bit of a deep dive into some forgotten cricket history, all the way back to the 19th century and up to the, some recent gems that just don't come up as often as they should. Each week we'll be telling you the story of a particular player or a particular match from years past and bringing it new life. Either Miles or myself will do the research and the other will be in your shoes listening to the stories that have been forgotten but we're retelling. We hope that you enjoy the series as much as we have. Friends, welcome back to our new series here on State of Play, Forgotten Players, Forgotten Matches, where Miles and I are using this period of downtime to cast our eyes back over some of the greatest players who've ever played the game of cricket who maybe aren't quite household names and also some of the great matches that have occurred over time as well. I'm Al Belling. And my name is Miles Cade. Now, Miles, before we get into this episode, how great is it to have a little bit of cricket back on TV? Oh, it's been pretty refreshing, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I renewed my KO subscription and then like 20 minutes later, Cricket Australia announced that they were showing the games for free. So I've given a bit of money back to Rupert Murdoch unnecessarily, but didn't bother me because I was pretty stoked to yeah watch some of the games. We've seen England and the Windies battle it out and it was great to see the Windies get a win. Unreal to see the Windies get a win. Always important for world cricket for West Indies to be up and about. And then, yeah, at the time of recording, um, Ireland have just gone down 2-1 in an ODI series against England as well. But the Irish actually managed to notch a win in the third game of that where Kevin O'Brien, the hero from the 2011 famous Irish victory in the World Cup over England, was able to steer them home once again. We will circle back around that idea of key figures playing for Mino countries because today, Miles, we're headed onto the subcontinent to a country called Bangladesh. Miles, I want us to cast our minds back for a moment. Actually, not just you, but also the listener as well. To cast your mind back to the 2nd of February, 1968. Very good day of the year. The 2nd of February is my wedding anniversary for what it's worth. Not in 1968 though. <laughs> and I want to cast our minds back to Dakar, the capital city of Bangladesh. At the time though, it was the capital of East Pakistan because Bangladesh had not gained its independence from Pakistan and it wouldn't go on to do so until 1971. Now on the 2nd of February, there was a man born whose name was Aminul Islam who would go on to be potentially the most important cricketer for the development of the game in the subcontinent. Now, I say that because obviously India is what we think of when we think of the subcontinental cricket market, but Bangladesh, by all accounts, is just as huge of a country for cricket. And many commentators who've been there, many journalists who have been there, say that that country is more mad for cricket than India. Um, and if you watch on TV, even today, you know, when there's it's like 48 degrees outside, but there's still packed stadiums there cheering on the Tigers who've developed a bit of a cult following around the cricketing world. But it certainly wasn't always that way. So the person we'll be focusing on today, like I just said, is Aminul Islam, who steered Bangladesh through their sort of dark days of the late 80s and early 90s and was able to take them onto the test cricketing world stage when they played their first test against India in 2000. I think it's worth saying that when we think about Minnow countries um, in cricket, 
Bangladesh are no longer in that. Um, they're they're obviously not a top tier nation in terms of their performances, but um, we, we think of other countries. They've kind of graduated on. But for many people who grew up watching cricket, especially in the early thousands, Bangladesh had one of the roughest starts in international cricket of any nation. And every country that, that joined international cricket had a bad start. But um, And not that I've got the stats here or, any, or anything, but Bangladesh just couldn't get a win for years and years and years. Absolutely. Now, we will circle again back to that because the way we're going to do this episode today, folks, we're going to have a little look at what uh, Islam is able to guide. And uh, when I say Islam, just from here on in, I'm referring to the to the cricketer. I'm not referring to the general religion, although if you are listening from the subcontinent and you do fall into that category or any listeners rather, we very much welcome you. But that now that being said, we're going to have a little look at the sort of area that Islam was able to guide Bangladesh through in the late 90s and then subsequently what sort of has happened to Bangladesh since then since his departure from the international scene and open up to a more general conversation about the place of like you just said countries that are transitioning to those full member ICC nations so Bangladesh you know like many nations they sort of very much struggled early on once they um, entered into the world league of cricket so let's just get some timings down when did they play their first international match? So, so it's a great question, Miles. <clears throat> uh, according to Wikipedia, which is the source of all knowledge where you can go and fact check this, um, Bangladesh first appeared as the East Pakistan side because as we said, they mm-hmm. didn't gain independence until 1971. Um, and they played in ICC trophy matches uh, in the 70s, but in 1977 when Bangladesh became... Uh, official associate member of the ICC Cricket Council, they were then able to uh, field their own team and really able to start um, investing into the game in the country under their own flag. Associate How- member though, that that that's kind of the status that like um, Scotland and Papua New Guinea have at the moment. Absolutely, and I would, I'll go on to say that when you be- when you become an associate member, you're you're right down the bottom of that side of the ledger. So. Scotland and Papua New Guinea and the Netherlands are probably your upper associate member teams that we can think of straight away. Bangladesh at the start of the 70s would much more be on the kind of scale that, say, Namibia would be on right now, Yeah, well, I was, I was thinking Thailand, obviously, we've covered in, in a bit of detail given their performance at the T20 World Cup recently. Exactly. So, Bangladesh didn't actually play their first... Um, proper international match against a full member nation until the 31st of March 1986 where they played Pakistan uh, they were rolled for 94 from their 35.3 overs uh, and Pakistan subsequently uh, knocked off the runs in 32 overs so took their sweet time there with that <laughs> but um, but our our man Aminul Islam didn't actually make his debut for Bangladesh until 1988 now if we're completely brutally honest again about Aminul Islam, there isn't much really to say about <laughs> his career per se. Um, it's, but also at the same time, it's pretty tricky to be able to tell how well he actually did. So the reason for that being all the matches that he would have played for Bangladesh pre them being a full member nation would have just been counted as his first class um, as his first class tally. So so he was an all rounder. Um, Averaged, you know, roughly 25 with a bat 
and then in the 30s with a ball. So nothing really to speak of. Much more of a batting all-rounder than a bowling all-rounder. More the kind of guy who could roll the arm over every now and then when you needed some some turners to, to bolster the attack. He Now, he took over the captaincy in 1998, but just before then, he was part of Bangladesh's finest hour of the 90s, which was when they were able to knock off Kenya in the thrilling final game of the World Cup follow of the World Cup qualifiers, known as the Carlsberg ICC Trophy in Kuala Lumpur. So some serious uh, cricket going on here in Malaysia. Um, it's actually an absolutely incredible game. So it was Kenya versus Bangladesh in the final. Um, both teams at, by this point had already qualified for the 1999 World Cup, which was going to be held in the British Isles, which was very, very exciting. It's Bangladesh's first uh, major international tournament against other full member nations. So they've got nothing to lose going into this game. Whereas Kenya, who'd already played in the 1996 World Cup, were expected to win. And by all accounts, they were looking really good for it with 241 for seven in their first innings with the Kenyan uh, World Cup journeyman, Steve Tocolo, actually taking out man of the match honors for his innings. Uh, Bangladesh, after you know a monsoon hit, which <laughs> we're playing in Malaysia, um, were set a revised target of 166 of which they were able to get there, winning by two wickets on the final ball of the game. It's absolutely crazy footage. Um, And for what it's worth, Islam made a crucial 37 in Bangladesh's innings, actually top scoring in that game, uh, with a strike rate of exactly 100. So a bit of a... T20-esque sort of batting going on there. Um, and that and that game was really never forgotten. It was upheld as Bangladesh went into their first World Cup to to take it to the rest of the world, essentially. Now, Miles, I've got a question for you. When it comes to World Cups with minnows, how do you usually associate, you know, the Cricket World Cup when you've got these lesser nations taking part? It's actually been a topic of a lot of discussion recently, obviously with the ICC making the decision in the last few years to bring it down to just 10 nations, effectively cutting all of the associate countries out bar one or two per World Cup. Um, but these countries are hugely important for... Um, how, let me say it again. The presence of these countries is hugely important at World Cups, not only for the countries themselves, but also just in terms of creating memorable moments. And we've already mentioned Ireland's upset win against England in 2011, but there's actually plenty of games that we could mention when it comes to countries upsetting better nations. Kenya in 2003, making it all the way to the Super Sixes. Didn't Kenya make it to the semifinals? I'm fairly sure. I'm fairly sure I got to the semi-finals. I think they did. I think they may have actually. I'm pretty sure they then got rolled by India, right? They got rolled in Nairobi, but it was like Kenyan in the yeah Kenyan semi-final stage. (laughs) (laughs) You imagine they got to the final? (laughs) And it's it's disappointing to see how Kenyan cricket's gone since then. But um, I think the 2011 moment for Ireland was the start of 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 something new and and um. It's hugely important for cricket in these nations when um, the players can come home with a country that's proud of them for pulling off an upset victory and, and beating a nation that's been playing cricket for decades. Absolutely. And so, well, you know, obviously the 2011 one with Ireland is the one that we really remember, which was sort of compounded by Ireland, sort of sticking it to them in the 2007 World Cup with wins against Pakistan. 
Pakistan and I believe they might have actually gotten up over Bangladesh as well, funnily enough. But in the 1999 World Cup, Bangladesh were able to pull off not just one, but two victories. Um, both of them crazy matches. The first one was a pool game. It was Bangladesh versus Scotland. Now, it's worth remembering that Scotland have never been that bad when it comes to cricket. Like, I think there's there's sort of an assumption that they're sort of the minnows that really aren't worth paying any attention to and they're, they're always going to get rolled. But Scotland have a knack of really pulling out some impressive performances, particularly uh, getting some fairly hefty runs on the board. Um, it's worth noting that this game, Bangladesh versus Scotland at the World Cup, there's video footage available uh, not all the games were televised for this World Cup. I, I believe England and Zimbabwe potentially wasn't even televised. Oh, South Africa versus Zimbabwe wasn't televised, which yeah. I think partially resulted in, in England's demise from the tournament altogether. Um, but there is video footage of this match. Uh, it says RARE in capital letters, and it's uploaded by Shehwa Random Bangali. So <laughs> a shout out to the man there, keeping the flame alive. So this game was played at the Grange, the uh, famous Scottish ground that the Scots are very, very strong at. Um, we've mentioned a few times in this podcast, they recently beat England there in a fantastic game. And by all accounts, things were not going uh, Bangladesh's way when they met Scotland there for their group game on May the 24th, 1999. Uh, they lost their first five wickets for no less than 10 runs. But then, um, and our man himself, Aminul Islam, who was captain by this time, LBW for a golden duck. But uh, Min Hajul Abedin was able to really set up the total that they got in the end of 185 with a fighting 68 in the middle order there. And then the Scots were subsequently rolled for 163. Um, so that was a really fantastic win for them to register on that sort of big main stage. But then came one of the one of the finest, once again, probably the finest hour of Bangladeshi cricket of all time. I would argue, certainly of the of the of that era, anyway, where the Bangladeshis met Pakistan, who would go on to make the final of this tournament. Now you got to remember that this is a huge grudge match, uh, given that Pakistan used to quite literally own the Bangladeshi country, and Bangladesh used to perform as East Pakistan. And in this game, Bangladesh, who batted first, were able to register 223 for nine, which is a huge first innings total for them to knock off against a really powerful squad at the, at the time, which considered the likes, uh, you know, look down the Pakistani list, you have the likes of Wakar Yunus and Shoaib Akhtar and Wazam Akram hurling the ball down at them. Uh, and then Aminul Islam only got 15 <laughs> from his 26, but then he was able to use his bowlers really effectively to restrict Pakistan to 161 all out in the end. Uh, a very famous moment happens at the end of this match where there there's a wicket taken and the Bangladeshi supporters who were renowned for just absolutely turning the heat up at the ground. Mm. They believe that the game was over, um, but it was a no ball. But you know, not to be not to be stopped in their celebrations, the Bangladeshi supporters sprinted onto the pitch and began to and began to tear up the pitch. So <laughs> it almost was a match abandoned situation. <laughs> um, the footage is definitely there on YouTube, and we might even drop some audio in here of it. There is absolute chaos. People coming from everywhere, and the game is not over yet. 
Well, it could be over if uh, the third umpire says yes to this. But uh, as far as the crowd is concerned, they think it's all over. And this was really the moment that people started to say, wow, Bangladesh really are potentially a test-playing nation. They'd, you know, they'd, they'd played some one-dayers against full-member nations before the 1999 tournament, and they'd shown a lot of sort of impressiveness in the way that they went about their craft. Um, Aminul Islam was really renowned for the way that he captained the squad professionally and sort of really brought them from being just sort of nervous cricketers on the main stage to professional cricket players who actually had ideas and a way to attack those big nations like South Africa and India and stuff. And so after a lot of debate and a lot of very careful diplomatic lobbying, Bangladesh gained their test cricket status on June the 26th, 2000 to become the 10th test playing nation at the time. And they played their first ever test match against a full member nation as a full member nation themselves on November the 10th, 2000 at Dakar. So, Al, one thing that struck me by just looking through a few of these scorecards um, in the one-day format is that Bangladesh really seemed to be a team in the fullest sense of the word. And you mentioned that uh, Aminul Islam wasn't so much of a great player as a great kind of leader of his team. And when you look at the scorecards, it, it tends not to be individual highlights so much. Um, so, in, in, the, in the victory against Pakistan, just to take that example, seeing as we've been talking about it, well, we've got a higher score from Bangladesh of 42 from uh, number three, Akram Khan. And then we've got five people taking, yeah, five people each taking wickets in the bowling innings as well. So it seems to me that they are really committed to playing as a team and in that sense, not um, collapsing, but everyone kind of contributing across the board, even though their individual skills are limited. Exactly. And you might see with... Uh, I guess lesser nations that a lot of the time they depend on one or two people to really try and keep them in the fight. So, you know, people like O'Brien or Murtagh, for example, for the Irish in, in recent years. Is yeah, but isn't he the guy we talked to who's like just made his debut? No, 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 no. He's the guy who got the five for against England in the recent test. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, like you just mentioned with Islam, he definitely wanted to bring all 11 players into the, into the fold and give all 11 players a real defined role to play, which that's the difference between, you know, growing nations and established nations. Uh, a critique of Afghanistan at the recent World Cup was that all the players batted like number eights. None of them actually batted properly in their positions, you know, to do with the context of the game. And that really was sort of began to take shape under Islam with his sort of, uh, I guess... Uh, mindfulness of the game and uh, Stuart not Uh, yeah, and his, and his studious attitude to the way that other nations played, and that really then showed when Bangladesh played their first Test match against against India, uh, where Islam, who by this stage he's been playing for twelve years and he was getting on as far as cricketers go. And he'd relinquished the captaincy by this time as well. Uh, Naimo Rahman was at this point the captain, but um, Islam was sort of upheld as one of those senior players who'd sort of guided Bangladesh on the journey to where they were. And he was able to notch 145 from um, 380 balls in a mammoth 535-minute stay 
in the searing heat of Dakar in front of 40,000 fans, becoming only the second ever player to score a century in his country's debut test match. Can you think of who the other one was? Yes, it was the um, the Aussie guy, Charles Bannerman, Charles in Bannerman the very first test. In the first test. So a very, very nice slice of history that Islam was able to sort of claim for himself in that in that game. It was a real marathon innings, actually. Um, batted for eight hours and 55 minutes. And for someone with very little first-class experience, that patience to grind it out that way was an insane sort of growth as far as the maturity of a player goes. So this strikes me as a particular moment of leadership when we mentioned that he passed the captaincy on, which is a pretty interesting move um, when it comes to test cricket and honestly not something that we see very much here in Australia. It tends to be that, um, I don't know, I think some of the great captains have retired as they've um, passed the captaincy on or it's been a force change. Um, but, we, you know, you think of Steve Waugh um, heading off after... He he he. We think of Steve Waugh, whose last test was as captain, and same with Mark Taylor, and and so on. Um, but it, it, I think this reinforces the point about Islam really being concerned not so much about his own status within the game, but yeah. as a kind of father figure of Bangladeshi cricket, and and with the mindset of a trajectory into the future. Yeah, he's not. He's definitely not. Well, at least on surface level, from looking at his figures and looking at the way he plays, he doesn't seem to be too concerned with legacy, as opposed to just sort of being in the moment and sort of making the most of where Bangladesh is at at that time. Because no one expects him to go into the World Cup and win any more than maybe one game or two games. No one would have expected them to knock off India, who had the likes of Dravid and Laxman and Singh and Tendulkar on their lineup, like in a really incredible team and Sarinath. Yeah, no one expects them to to be you know clobbering India by an innings or so. They just want to see that that the team that they that they've thrown their weight behind is representing the country has some fight, and they certainly showed that. Um, Islam would only uh, play twelve Test matches in his career, being part of a full member nation, but he also got the distinction um, of scoring eighty four against a really quality Zimbabwe attack in his second Test. And another half century against Sri Lanka. And in that innings, he was able to guide Muhammad Ash- Ashraful to his debut century. So, fun bit of trivia there is that um, Aminul Islam was in the middle for Bangladesh's first two debutants, of which he himself was one. So, yeah, th- th- there's definitely a lot of mythology that sort of surrounds his place there in the squad. Aminul Islam retired in 2002, uh, just before Bangladesh actually went off to their second World Cup campaign in South Africa, where they actually had a terrible time and were defeated by Canada, of all countries, with um, (laughs) the Canadians managing to claim their first win in a major tournament um, in the process. And to be honest, Bangladesh had a very, very sharp decline throughout the noughties and only really began to rebuild and announce themselves again back on the world stage from about 2012 onwards. And I guess, you know, the 2015 World Cup was really a, a turning point once again in the Bangladeshi story. So I think I think then it's worth having a conversation around where, where we, like, or how we cultivate these new teams as they come up into full member status. Because at the time of recording, Ireland and Afghanistan have just become full members. Well, they've been full members for about a year now each. And both of them have only played, you know, less than 10 test matches between them. 
as far as yeah. as far as their ODI schedules go, they're only playing maybe three to six a year. People are cancelling on them all the time. There's funding issues. There's constant problems in terms of the facilities that they're provided with. Obviously, Afghanistan have some very very clear cut issues at home with security concerns. Um, but even Ireland as well, and it's becoming more and more expensive to even host test matches. And looking at Bangladesh's schedule throughout the noughties, they played far, far less test matches than any other, even lower second tier test teams like Sri Lanka or New Zealand in the noughties. They certainly weren't anything to write home about. Mm. But those countries still were able to, you know, work at their skills and were still given between nine and 15 tests a year, whereas Bangladesh would be given one or two per year. And when they were given them, it would be, you know, playing second-rate strengths around sides around the world. Well, I mean, if 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 you have to ask an Australian about any tests against Bangladesh in the mid thousands, every every single fan's mind goes back to Dizzy Gillespie's double century <laughs> in his last ever test in two thousand and three, featuring um Dan Cullen, who was a niche <laughs> state player who played his only test, and um yeah, mm. I mean that that's what we think of when we when we think of games against Bangladesh, of course. Yeah, now. That has changed for Bangladesh in the past few years, as we sort of said. You've got the likes of um, Iqbal and um, and Shakib. I mean, obviously, he won't be playing for a couple of years due to some dodgy WhatsApp yeah. conversations <laughs> that he's been involved in. And Mushfikur as well, of course. Of course. And we've just seen Bangladesh, you know, they've pl- they played the first day-night test match on the subcontinent against India which was a absolutely huge coup as far as you know things like broadcast rights and ratings go. They've been able to knock off Australia in in games at home. They've been able to win matches against England and you know get in that fat famed green limousine and yeah. get on the beers around <laughs> London town as a result. So there, there is mythology building around the Bangladesh team, but I would argue that that's just and, and, it's, and it's great to see that when when they made it. Got a, got a few big victories in the in the recent World Cup um, last year. There was a real excitement around the Bangladeshi squad and the Tigerland meme was going around a little bit in Australia, which is something that we often use for the Richmond Football Club. But given the Bangladesh's um, mascot is the Tigers, it, it seems appropriate. But that, that stuff takes time to build and you need to give teams plenty of games in order for them to be able to translate that into success. Um, when you look at ex- the exponential growth of anything and, and really that, that's what countries are aiming for when it comes to their performances, it really is slow movement to start off with um, and that's been the case for every test nation. For years and years, Bangladesh, like even though it was only a few years since everyone was saying, you know, now is obviously the time for them to become a test playing nation. They were just... Years and years where they'd have to suffer questioning about their place as a test team. They hadn't got any wins under their belt, in especially in the test arena, um, for quite a while. But these things grow really slowly. And, and what the ICC gave them was patience. Exactly. But they gave them patience, but not enough games, I don't think. Okay. And, it, and given that, like even just looking here, the New Zealand test cricket team, it took them 25 years to register their first test victory, yeah. which came against the West Indies in 1955 in Auckland, which they won by 190 runs, which is extremely impressive. 
But they were given just as many games as South Africa and Australia and Pakistan and stuff. Now, granted, schedules were very different then. And also World War II interrupted the uh, yeah. <laughs> the playing schedule. So that's five years to be knocked out straight away. And as you just said, Miles, the ICC has given them patience. They haven't taken their ta- their test status away, you know, looking at Zimbabwe, which is a whole other kettle of fish in and of yeah. itself. Um but I would just say, given that Bangladesh were able to, in their first game, have members like Aminul Islam stand up and smack out 150 and and be able to register, you know, 400 in their first test innings, when they're not given another game in the test arena for, you know, six, seven months at a time, if that's how they're performing on that on and off basis, just think of how good these teams could be if they were given the same amount of scheduling that, say, India or Australia get. And I know that there's obviously financial sort of questions that get raised here, but you're still not going to make a loss on those games, especially with a country like Bangladesh where you've got 50,000 people rocking up to the Dakar yeah. Stadium for every single game. Um, I just think, you know, Ireland and Afghanistan are the two prominent examples to me today. They're able to beat full member nations time and time again, even though they only get you know, five to 10 games a year if they're lucky. If we're able just to invest as opposed to expect things, what could that look like in a few years? Because we've seen with Bangladesh as they've finally begun to get more games, the results are starting to fall their way. And it's really exciting. What? um, (laughs) The reason it's worked out for Bangladesh, I suspect is very much in part to that single innings from Islam. Um. What that says is that these guys can do it. For years and years, it didn't look like they could, but it was still in re- relatively fresh memory that this guy's made a century on debut. They put 400 against an almost full-strength India lineup. They can do this. They just need time. Mm. Even though they weren't given the games, um, I think there's always been a sense that it's coming in Bangladesh. and In large part, that's due to a, a massive population and incredible popularity when it comes to the game and we've, we've mentioned maybe even more so than in India where um, I think hockey distracts a lot of people as well and, and football but in Bangladesh cricket is the game right absolutely and and I know for a fact just you know based off you know articles you can read in numerous outlets like Wisdom Cricket Monthly or you know even even localized papers like Sydney Morning Herald or The Age or whatever that a lot of administrators are really looking to Bangladesh as the center for cricket as far as tests and ODIs go over the next few years you know over the next couple of decades coming they don't have the same sense of like overarching power from their board that maybe you get in other neighboring countries um, there's so much passion there that happens to you know, for test cricket as well as ODI and T20. So, you know, you don't build that mythology and that dedication um, just overnight. And like we've sort of said, and it's been the theme of this podcast, it is all about patience. And patience is definitely what Aminal Islam had in his career, a career that spanned 13 years and really culminated in a 535-minute stay at the crease that set the tone for a new generation of test cricketers. Cannot take that away from him. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Forgotten Players, Forgotten Matches on State of Play. Next week, we'll be back and we won't be going so far back in time 
this time with a, a trip back to 2015 for an unbelievable game between Sri Lanka and India that I think will have escaped many memories but is absolutely worth visiting. So we're pretty excited to go and have a look at that match. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, I think. We've got an Instagram page that we'll try and post them more often. Um, and you can follow both of us on Twitter as well. I'm at Al underscore Belling. He's Miles underscore Caday. Just Miles Caday. Just Miles Caday. Don't put any underscores in there. Until then, we'll see you next time. See you.